Today, we're going to start the session with a conversation with Deepak Jivan Kumar, Managing Director of Dell Technologies Capital. Deepak and I met recently at a panel, and uh, I invited him to the show. Deepak, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Sramana, for the opportunity. Great to be speaking on your, at your, at your uh, uh, round table here. So let's uh, get you introduced to our audience. Um, tell us a bit about what uh, your background in is, as well as what is the current focus of Dell Technologies Capital? Great. Uh, so uh, I have been with Dell Technologies Capital for three years. I grew up in, uh, in India in a family of doctors. I'm the first non-doctor in three generations. I decided to become a computer engineer, worked for Sun Microsystems, then moved into the venture capital world about 10 years ago in a firm called General Catalyst Partners. And um, uh, I have been um, in Dell Technologies Capital for three years. Samana, can you hear me? I'm just having some. What is the size? Yes, we can hear you fine, people. Okay, excellent. What excellent. is the size so of the Yes, so Dell Technologies Capital is the investment arm for Dell Technologies and all the companies under Michael Dell, including Dell, EMC, VMware, RSA, mm -hmm. SecureWorks, Servicel, which is now part of VMware. We invest about $100 million a year. We have been in business for about eight years. And in eight years, we have made uh, about 100 investments. Uh, 40 of those have already been acquired and five have gone public. I mean, some of the well-known names that you are aware of, including Arista Networks, MongoDB, Nutanix, DocuSign. Um, and uh, yeah, and we uh, invest about $100 million a year, mostly in Series A and Series B, sometimes earlier and sometimes later. Yeah, investment check size goes from you know, 5 million to 20 million, depending on the stage of the company. We mostly lead or co-lead the rounds. And the investment focus areas are uh, anything in enterprise infrastructure from cybersecurity, cloud infrastructure, developer tools, uh, to semiconductor chips, storage, networking. And sometimes we do a little bit in the middleware and application layers as well. And uh, Deepak, can you elaborate a bit on when you do Series A investments, what do you want to see in terms of proof points? Or do you have a particular, if you're doing, let's say, a SaaS deal, do you have a particular MRR or ARR that you are targeting? What's, how do you benchmark those deals? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think um, uh, you know, enterprise investing probably has the highest variance in what we look for in uh, Series A. In consumer investing, it's probably, you know, it's, it, it's, it's usually some uh, version of consumer traction, be it number of users, number of daily active, monthly active users, and so on. In enterprise investing, it varies. So if it's like a semiconductor company um, where you're creating chips, you probably are not going to have any revenue when uh, you take the Series okay. A investment. You're probably not even built the, or designed the chip. So then we look at the background of people, of the founders, uh, whether they have chips, uh, whether they have actually created, designed, and shipped chips before, and why they are the right people equipped to do this, because we are going to give them like somewhere between 10 to 20 million dollars between the A and B uh, without right. having any revenue. Um, on the other hand, if it is like an open source company um, and where you're creating a company around an open source project, 
we look at open source community traction. I think the one of the metrics used today is number of GitHub stars. Uh, okay. Then two, another metric uses number of downloads and how many people are uh, actively using the project. Um, so usually, um, you know, for uh, you know, open source companies end up end up uh, raising a seed round first and then come to a Series A. And by Series A, you know, at least part of the project is in the market, and you are having somewhere between a hundred to a thousand GitHub stars. Um, the other piece of uh, the metrics is not just like how many stars you have, but you know, can you actually build a big company out of this, and why are you the most uh, well-equipped to build a big company. Uh, and that's where we look for what we call as, or what we call as authentic entrepreneurs. Why are you the person uh, who's well-equipped to create this product? Do you have an authentic story uh, behind this? Um, so, um, the, uh, so then if, if we go to uh, cybersecurity companies, uh, there are some cybersecurity products which take a long time to build, and so we don't look for revenues for, for those. But there are many cybersecurity products which you can actually build with uh, seed seed capital. And typically, we look for between like you know half a half a million to 50k, like 50k to half a million in revenue um, from customers there. If it is SMB focused, then it's probably lower, but we want to see more customers. If it's enterprise focused, uh, like you know high big enterprise focused, then we are looking for um, um, yeah, I mean, a handful of customers or design partners and them saying, hey, we are using this in production or we are going to put this product into production soon. Now, hopefully that answers your question, but this is one of the challenges yeah. of enterprise investing. There is no one bar, unfortunately, that yeah. we can look at unlike consumer investing. Yeah, well, and also I think, um, you know, we make a distinction between uh, fat startups and lean startups, and some mm. enterprise products tend to be fast startups. And we, yep. cybersecurity is a very good example of an area where some startups tend to be fast startups and, and it takes time to build the product and the enterprise sales cycles are very long. Cybersecurity sales cycles yep. can be months. So, um, so you know, I mean, what we have actually in our portfolio right now, we have some excellent companies that have built very interesting cybersecurity products that, uh, you know, in one case, it's pre-revenue because it's negotiating these very long sales cycle deals. In another case, actually, since you and I met recently at an um, Indian entrepreneur event, a Tamil entrepreneur event, we are very active in the India-US corridor. So in, the, in the, this other case, we have another cybersecurity company that has actually very solid customers already in the Indian market, and, and they have a good pipeline that will get them to a million dollars in revenue in the next six to nine months. That pipeline exists, but those are Indian customers. They don't necessarily have U.S. customers yet, and they're trying looking for funding to come to the U.S. So these are all, you know, as you said, enterprise investing is diverse, and, and, uh, and, and these are all scenarios that are coming up in our practice. No, thank you. So... Um, Let's talk about geography, since we just started touching upon that. Tell us where you're comfortable investing in. Yeah, so um, we do invest globally, but uh, not equally in all countries. Uh, there are some historical reasons and some you know, practical reasons. One of the things is you know, uh, venture capital is a very bespoke business. It's not easily scalable. It's not giving money and you know, going to bed after that. 
Uh, we have to really, really, we are active investors. We take both seats. We lead and co-lead rounds. So we need to be in a place where we can help the company. Uh, and it's a huge determinant. So we have a team in Palo Alto. We have one of our managing directors in uh, Boston. We have a couple of people in Israel. Uh, so we mostly invest in um, the U.S. and uh, Israel. And Israel, as you know, is a pretty big um, uh, ecosystem for cybersecurity and some enterprise uh, entrepreneurship innovation yeah. has been a book from the startup nation. We also made a few uh, you know, investments in the U.K. Uh, about three years ago, we invested in this uh, AI chip company called GraphCore uh, that mm -hmm. came out of the uh, um, uh, some of the universities and uh, research centers in the UK, and they are basically building a much uh, faster version for uh, for uh, for an AI chip that can hopefully create another quantum leap in deep learning. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a very hardcore enterprise infrastructure company, and we found them in uh, uh, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And. Um Talk a little bit about some other portfolio companies that are significant and are representative of your investment thesis. And as you do that, help us understand how you encountered them, what did they have by way of proof points, and what is it about those companies that attracted you enough to make those investments? So what I'm trying to get to is help our audience understand your thought process around evaluating investments. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think um, uh, there are a few ways to approach this question. So let me take a couple of different options. So one is like, how do we source deals? Um, so source deal, sourcing deals comes from, you know, trusted network uh, that we have from angel investors, other entrepreneurs, and also customers. So we have a strong network of CIOs and CISOs and chief information officers and chief information security officers of Fortune 500 companies. And we keep polling them very frequently on what are the new products that you that you have come across, um, and have you come across any interesting entrepreneurs who have come and pitched to you recently? Because you know many good entrepreneurs go and find customers first before they raise money, or design partners mm -hmm. first. Um, so, um, uh, so, so I think these are the three sources. And then there's another source, what I would call as you know serendipity, uh, and this includes uh, you know we uh, very frequently scan. Uh, the, the rising projects in GitHub for open source companies. Um, we have uh, systems in place to uh, understand uh, if there are you know, form, uh, second time entrepreneurs who are, who are now part of big companies because the first companies have uh, been acquired, now they're coming out to start a second company. Um, the, you know, we invest both in first time and second time entrepreneurs, you know, both are tricky in, some, in, in their own ways. Uh, and we have had equal success with first-time and second-time entrepreneurs, like Arista Network was uh, uh, second-time entrepreneurs and serial entrepreneurs. Uh, so was Zscaler. Uh, then a lot of our uh, the recent companies, um, which have been acquired, so one of our companies in cybersecurity space uh, called Risk Recon was acquired by Mastercard. That was first-time entrepreneur, and we heard of uh, Risk Recon through an angel investor in cybersecurity and through. Um, one of the top five banks which were uh, using them. Um, the, uh, so, when, uh, so the thought process once we hear about startups is one, are you, a part, the, the first question we ask is a market question. Uh, are you part of the future of the world story or past of the world story? And that is very important because you know, future means growth. 
you know, if you look at, um, uh, like for example, I think the future is multi-cloud, which includes hybrid cloud. So we like startups that have a strong multi-cloud or hybrid cloud philosophy. Then um, how are you securing some of these changes happening with new hardware, new clouds, and that's a cybersecurity thesis. In cybersecurity, we look at category transformation and category creation. So are you part of category creation or category transformation where you're taking an existing uh, spend, but you're building a far better product. Category creation is like this, nobody's spending money for that problem today, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. Like cloud security became a huge problem. We, we have a good fortune of investing in multiple cloud security companies that have done well. Like, you know, example, uh, you know, Twistlock, which wrote the, the, the container and cloud wave. So as, the, as people started using containers, they needed to secure containers. And Twistlock got acquired by Palo Alto Networks for $400 million plus recently. Uh, another example of that is uh, you know, we are investors in this company called Netscope, which is securing SaaS applications. That's where they started. Now they do far more than that. Uh, we are investors in this company called Adalom, which has been acquired by Microsoft, and they also secure SaaS applications. Now it's a core part of Azure security. And then um, we invested in a company called Redlock, which secured AWS as part of Palo Alto Networks now. So we look for um, you know, what I would call a secular trend in, in, in different parts of IT and see if cyber uh, would play a part of it. That's one investment thesis we have in cyber. Um, mm -hmm. Then uh, the other part is uh, the people. You know, why should we invest in a certain set of people? You can invest in so many sectors, but we need to pick the right teams um, to ride on a disruptive wave. And I think the, the few things we look for one is uh, you know, entrepreneurs need to be very, very intellectually curious. Then two, they need to cut through all, all parts of red tape that is available that's in, in this world. There's more red tape gets get created always. Uh, three, they need to be great uh, recruiters. Uh, four, they need to be very authentic. Now, uh, you know, one of the hardest challenges about building a startup is scaling, but there's so many things you need to scale. You need to scale sales, you need to scale sales leadership, you need to scale culture, but you also need to scale authenticity. I'm a big believer in finding entrepreneurs who can scale authenticity and scale culture. So it's not sufficient for the entrepreneurs themselves to be authentic, but they should be able to recruit people who are mission-driven like them and who are as motivated and as authentic as them. And because um, they cannot be there closing every deal. Uh, you know, the salespeople who work for them also need to be authentic. The, the second level, third level leadership under them also needs to be very authentic and very motivated. So uh, I think great entrepreneurs can recruit well. You're recruiting investors, you're recruiting customers, you're recruiting uh, employees and co-workers. Um, and these are some generic comments, but hopefully I answered your questions, Ramana. Actually, I have a follow-on question. You did answer the question, and, and it just triggers a different question in my head, is when you are doing a Series A round, how mm -hmm. much of the team do you want to see completed? So... Um, I think it's a short-term view and a long-term view to that. The short-term view is uh, we want to see enough of the team that can take it to the Series B. <laughs> that is a short-term view. Uh, mm -hmm. And the long-term view is do you have a plan in place to actually uh, recruit the right, right leadership for a big company? So, for example, in most enterprise companies, I won't speak of consumer companies, but most enterprise companies, um, you know, uh, Half the time, we don't need a VP of product for Series A because the founders are the product leaders. Um, yeah. 
then we might not need a VP of finance because we can use the part-time CFO and there's so many very good part-time CFO services. Uh, we might not even need a VP of engineering if the engineering team is small, but usually like a VP of engineering comes in between series A and series B. We definitely need the founders and uh, we definitely need somebody who can sell the product. Sometimes the founders are very good in selling, so that's great. If not, we would really encourage some, uh, to them to hire like one or two startup salespeople. And there are very few good ones who can actually go, go and walk into one of the top five banks, top five media companies, some pharma companies, and pitch a product and get a, get a deal done. Um, however, if the, if the enterprise product is more on the SMB or mid-market side, we like to see somebody with growth hacking abilities. Um, you know, who can, who, can, who can look into the marketing, who can look into different kinds of creating pipeline and uh, keep the cost of customer acquisition low because then your ASPs are hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars. It's not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so uh, I would say product thinking in the founders that you like to see, some kind of sales or growth hacking depending on like, you know, which part of the uh, stack you play, you know, whether it's mid-market or uh, Fortune 500. Uh, then enough number of engineers who can actually build the product. So these are bare minimum. And sometimes, you know, some uh, companies have achieved a lot on seed capital uh, because now seed runs seed have become four or five million dollars in some cases. Yeah. They achieve a lot on seed capital. So in that case, you know, we would look for, you know, a little bit of more scaling people, like, you know, getting a VP of product or getting a VP of engineering to have scale some of the, um, the questions. And I think the... Um, uh, I, I think most series A startups do not have complete teams in terms of the leadership, and I don't think it is right for us to expect it, uh, because I do believe that there are some basic skills of running, especially first-time entrepreneurs, that the founders need to learn themselves. So I am a big believer if you are doing enterprise sales and you've never done that, if you are the founder, go close the first two customers yourself, and then go and hire a salesperson. Yeah, that's kind of where I am also, you know, it's like the first few customers in, in a, let's say, a cybersecurity startup, I don't think anybody other than the founder who's a product visionary can actually close those deals. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to get somebody from the outside to come and sell that deal because it's too soon. The positioning points have not been figured out yet, and, and only a founder who has deep enough knowledge of the product and the space and everything can position on the fly. They can have a conversation that is deep enough and be able to position on the fly on the issues. No VP of sales or no salesperson will be able to do that. I agree. I agree. And that the authenticity in a founder's talk can't be repeated by anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's um, let's talk about a couple more case studies of uh, you know companies that you've invested in that you're particularly excited about, and and what do we learn from that? What do we learn about trends? That's you know that's kind of where I want to lead this conversation is in the enterprise. Where are where are we going? Yeah. So I think um, uh, I mentioned briefly about uh, multi-cloud. Um, and how does uh, um, an enterprise customer work in a world where you have your private cloud infrastructure, AWS, my, Microsoft, Azure, GCP? So that we have we have made many bets on that. On the security side, we made a company we bet, we bet, bet on a company called Redlock, 
which provides continuous security for AWS, Azure, and GCP, not far of Palo Alto Networks. The more important thing about multi-cloud is you know, it's easy to move applications, but very hard to move data around. Um, and so we have made a few bets in that uh, uh, in that line of thinking. So one is a company called Min.io, M-I-N.io, and the founder is a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he was he, he sold a company to Red Hat called Gluster before this, and Gluster was one of the first open source storage systems. Uh, and what uh, uh, what the two founders Garima and AB are doing with uh, with Min.io is basically creating the equivalent of Amazon S3 object storage for private clouds, for IoT devices, for embedded devices, for laptops. Um, mm -hmm. So. When a developer is used to working on Amazon S3, he or she can get exactly the same experience, whether they're working on the laptop, whether they're working on Azure, whether they're working on like you know, Google or your private cloud, or like you know, in some kind of a Raspberry Pi or embedded device. And this is actually one of the fastest growing open source projects of uh, the last uh, you know, two to three years. They have more than 300 million Docker pulls, which is like one measure of you know, open source downloads. Yeah. And, uh, uh, many big enterprises are using them, uh, and you know, we like the story of the entrepreneurs really well because you know they know they knew how to build the open source community, they knew how to build storage products, and yeah. they are very authentic. Um, and uh, so, so Minio is an example of a company that's in the multi-cloud, I would say, storage layer that we invested in. Another one in a different part of storage layer uh, is a company called Yugabyte. Um, Yugabyte was created by uh, the people who led the data infrastructure team for Facebook. So that the products that they created inside Facebook, you know, the ones that uh, uh, power Messenger and uh, Newsfeed and others, and they had contributed to many open source projects like Cassandra and HBase before. So they've taken their life's work at Facebook and before that they were at Oracle to create a database that can work across multiple clouds. So you, so you can run your, it's a PostgreSQL compliant database, so it's fully SQL, SQL compliant and asset compliant. And you could run this database with one master in a public cloud like AWS or Azure, another master in a private cloud, and your data will be available to applications wherever they are. Um, so it, another way to look at it is in a democratizing access to data in a multi-cloud world. So that's a pretty big, uh, theme of investing for us. Um, another, uh, you know, theme of investing is uh, um, you know, we have been tracking what is happening in the uh, container Kubernetes world quite closely, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a, as we all know, it's a very, very big trend in enterprise. Now, you uh, know, many so so Google created a, uh, the Kubernetes project, and uh, that created like a huge wave around Kubernetes, and many big enterprises are using Kubernetes. But now, how do you do the network and security layers on top of Kubernetes? Uh, so once you start using containers and Kubernetes, how do you make the networking and security layers as dynamic as the compute layers? And uh, so that it's Google had created this project called Istio, and a couple of the early you know, contributors to Istio came out of Google and created this company called Tetrate, and we had invested in them. And they are bringing the concepts of dynamic networks and uh, security. Uh, and this, the industry name for this project, uh, for this initiative is called Service Mesh. And they're bringing whatever Google has created in the Istio open source project 
in and making it available in different clouds and for different enterprises. So that's another example. Um, we are still very big believers in IoT and embedded uh, security. You know, one of our companies has already been acquired by Palo Alto Networks. It's a company called Zincbox. And um, they... Sorry, one Sorry. question, just to interrupt you for one second. One of the themes I'm hearing quite a bit uh, is storage. Now, uh, it, what triggers in my head is uh, how much of the channel access are you able to open up through your, um, you know, relationships and your other companies within the Dell world? Yeah, so I think uh, there are some places where we can open up. Um, and uh, like, for example, uh, uh, you know, we had invested in a cybersecurity company called Silence. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dell was reselling Silence for, for quite a bit. And then it got acquired by BlackBerry. Then we um, had uh, opened up uh, uh, Dell's. So Dell's, uh, one part of Dell has now a relationship with Netscope, and they are jointly going to market. A couple of our companies, like in the security space, Risk Lens and Risk Recon, have joined go-to-market initiatives with RSA, and this is all public knowledge. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. We can we can help access, we can help open up access, but we also uh, help introduce you know startups to customers on a case-by-case -case basis through our personal networks and the corporate network of Dell. Um, so I would say there is no one template that works for every company, and there are some companies we can help more than we can help others. Sure, of course. All right. Well, um, that gives us a you know an overview into what you're doing at Dell Technologies Capital. Let's uh, switch to the entrepreneur pitch session. I understand that you're going to stay for a bit and, and talk to the entrepreneur. Yeah. Yes, I will be able to stay on for like another 15 to 20 minutes and. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll be on the phone. All right, great. Thank you, Samana, for the opportunity. It was really, uh, really an honor to be on your it's podcast. A pleasure. Very nice to, uh, very nice to hear your thoughts, and uh, they they make a lot of sense. So. <laughs> um, we are all learning together. 